Welcome to Noel 24-7's On the Bench. This is Brendan Sinone, Josh Newberg, Chris Need joining me. Guys, I had a fun joke to start off the podcast, but you both ruined it, so this is take two. Hi. Thank you for ruining it. It wasn't that funny. Not all. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's get into the nitty gritty here. We uh, we want to talk a little bit about some personnel changes that have happened this week. Some interesting comments from uh, coaches pertaining to quarterbacks, to uh, shadow coaches or shadow staff, and uh, there's some recruiting. We want to preview Louisville, so we have a pretty full show to get through. We want to do it pretty quickly here. The thing that I guess I want to start off with, and this is something we touched on a little bit last week, quarterback play. I'm going to talk about James Blackman. Because it's been a talking point throughout the week, uh, something that again we started off the week with talking about in the podcast and how James performed against Virginia. Now, as we go into to the Louisville game, I feel like all eyes are really on James. And then, Chris, I'll I'll start with you here. Uh, what were your thoughts on one how James performed against Virginia? And hindsight, going back, watching film, seeing some of the metrics that have come out, was it as bad as some are making it out to seem? And uh, well, let's start off with that because there's some interesting comments from Willie and, and Kendall Browse I want to get to, but I just want to get your overall thoughts on, on how James has played this season and most recently this past game. He was inconsistent against Virginia. I think the thing that's had kind of a lasting effect with people is the missed throws there late, the third down on the second to last series, and then missing the two throws on the final series, a vertical pass and one to the corner. I think those are the ones that have stuck with people more than anything. But he wasn't great in that game, but I also don't think he was awful. I think he used the word average to describe him on the message board, and I agree with that. I think that's a good description of how he performed. The thing with James is that the good is really good, the bad can be really aggravating, and there's a whole lot in the middle. I think we need to see him keep and running a little bit more to make this offense operate at a little higher manner. And the other thing is that when the big plays are there and they have a chance, he's got to do it especially if it's helping to sustain a drive. There's been so much talk of time po- time of possession this week. I think me, you, and probably talk. Josh right, are in agreement that that's kind of a foolish thing. It's not about holding the ball for longer. Like You don't need to milk the clock just to milk the clock. What you need to do is sustain drives and on offense, and you need to end drives on defense. That's the thing that matters for FSU. You either sustain the drive or you score points. The three and out isn't a good thing, but, you know, it's not the reason the defense is faltering either, which is what I think some people try to paint a picture of. But James has to be more consistent. I think he'd be the first one to mention. I think what people get frustrated with is is the four or five throws in a game that, that are just easy passes to make and he misses. And in this offense, and especially with the way the defense plays, like that, that hurts them, uh, hurts you a ton and it is magnified. Uh, Josh, did you get a chance to see the quotes that Willie Taggart had on on James today? Yes, and, about him being crushed after the game. Is that yeah, what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, and let me let me uh, read it real quick just for our our listeners. But I asked uh, I asked Willie what he thought, or how, how basically how James bounced back, and he said, "I guess quote, uh, I was worried about him after the game. He was crushed, but he came out of the great out of the came out with a great attitude and had a good week of practice." Uh, before, well, Josh, I want to get your thoughts on on that and just how how Willie's kind of handling handling James personally. Um, I think um, James wasn't the only one that was crushed after the game. Spoke to a couple others, couple some parents, some some people behind the scenes, and there's a lot of guys that felt like if they had performed better, the team would have won. A lot of guys took that loss personally. Um, James being crushed. To me, I'm, I don't see that as a good or bad thing, but I think Willie Taggart's handling him well. 
Um, the team's one and two, and there's really no question whether or not James Blackman is the quarterback heading into this Louisville game and, and they're in set going forward. So I well, think to this point, he's given him opportunities. I mean, what I mean is like he, there's been no quick leash, you know, the team's one and two, you would think maybe after that there would be more questions. And I know there's some speculation that Hornybrook could get a shot. I'd actually like to see that a little I, bit. I, I do want to, I do want to get into that. Crazy. You want to talk about you, it now? You you like chaos. That's why your ass wants to see it. <laughs> in like a hypothetical, I want to see it. We know what we we've seen in James. It's inconsistency. Like Brendan said, the great is the the good is very good. The bad is very bad. Um, I'd like to see what this offense looks like under Hornybrook or Travis or Jordan Travis. I think one of the two might be able to create a spark, but I. I'm not calling for a change at quarterback just yet. Josh is stirring up a quarterback controversy. I do want to talk about Hornybrook because you're not curious. I I am. No, I I do want to get into that before we do that real quick, just with, with Willie handling uh, James Blackman, an interesting note today while we were waiting for, for practice to begin and and to talk to Willie James and Willie walked in together. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. They typically don't, not that there's just, that was unique to see. They walked into the field together the entire way. And then before they even got into practice, before they went into the indoor practice facility, they stood out there by themselves for maybe like three or four minutes just talking. I don't have no idea what the conversation was about. It was just it was interesting to see Willie that close to his quarterback. That's that's not typical, right, Chris, based on what we normally see out there? No, James in the offense and the offensive coaching staff is usually in, you know, ten or so minutes before we usually see Willie trot in on most days. Willie's Usually kind of the last guy on the field. Very rarely does he come out with other players because the players are already out there in the indoor getting after it. But Thursday is a little bit of a different setting for FSU with practices. They mostly let the uh, third team and under guys and the young guys go at it. So some of those upperclassmen don't have as much involvement in the practice. So they don't have to be there immediately like they do on prior days. So and one other thing, too, with with James and his persona that I, that I want to touch on is when we say he was, you know, defeated after the game, uh, I mean, he looked like he was crying afterwards when talking to me. He had red eyes. He was really dejected. You could tell he was frustrated. Usually someone who's really upbeat. Uh, he he put that loss on him, I think. Uh, and as that applies to how James usually carries himself, I, I think part of the appeal, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, part of the appeal of James Blackman and why teammates like him is is his personality, is his energy, is the way he, he approaches uh, the quarterback position and just how he is a teammate to, to others. Uh, that that energy that it's it's contagious. It's well liked. It makes him well loved. Uh, but but that can't be. It's a strength, but it, it it's tough that it, and it can't be a weakness for him. I think what we've seen from James so far this season, when we're looking at the, the negatives, is when he gets in a bit of a struggle. He's done a much better job this year than he did in past past you know, as a freshman or even in, in camp last year. He gets out of the spiral. But he does take a couple series to really get back into a groove. It's not just a, a bad throw or two and then he rebounds. It, it takes him a while. And I don't know if that's just necessarily the, the way this offense is kind of constructed uh, because, of, because of the way tempo and momentum applies to it. But uh, he can't spiral and he can't let his body language be bad and he can't kind of get down on himself. And I think that's my concern with him is, is can he even out a little bit uh, without taking away the upside of his, of his personality uh, so as I say all this, guys, and Josh, you mentioned Hornibrook. 
I guess why? What what makes you interested to see what what Alex can do, and and do you think it would be vastly different, or do you want to see just to see the world burn, or do you think that there's something that would that would make you curious to see? And not you're not saying a full switch, but just to see Hornibrook see the field a little bit. I'm not even talking about in reality. I'm just saying um, we're not at practice, right? Is, we're not this at is practice. Really helpful. All I'm saying is. <laughs> I'm curious to know what it would look like. We haven't been there for the scrimmages. Those are all closed to the media. Um, We haven't been there in practice. We've seen now what this offense looks like with James Blackman. We've seen three games, various styles of defense, various levels of competition. And I kind of feel like I know what this team is with Blackman. I feel like they're a little bit limited. You don't think there's a difference? He's not very accurate. Josh, do you think there's a... What you're saying, I think, is something that a lot of fans are saying. I, the the weaknesses and the strengths you're articulating is what a lot of our message boarders are saying. But you don't think that James can grow from that? I mean, this is just his third game in the se- system. I think this is a se- – no, I understand that. I think it's a seven or eight win team under James Blackman this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's behind him. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious. I'm not going to hang – go ahead. Go. No, 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 no. I'm not going to hang out in an alternate universe and believe that it's any different with somebody else under center. I think that Blackman's the best option for FSU to win with. He's averaging 280 a game, three touchdowns a game, less than a pick per game. Can he be better without a shadow of a doubt? Would I like to see them run it more with him? Yes, I would. I understand he's not a dual threat by any definition of the word, but he is a capable runner and he needs to hold on to it a little bit more and go. I think it will help the offense just function a little bit more orderly manner than it has. But, you know, that's a 15-game issue for FSU with a quarterback not keeping it. That's not a James Blackman thing. That's an FSU thing. And I don't know if that's, you know, the message dying when it's being relayed or what's happening or if it's simply quarterbacks being stubborn. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I just know that I think FSU's offense would be a little more successful if the quarterback showed a willingness to keep it here and there. And I'm not talking about 12 carries a game for 100 yards. I'm not looking for that. I'm talking about the one or two opportunities where it's there or you see it, you read it, and you should keep it, they need to do it. All right, and, and for context, like, we're not, we're not, well, I can't speak for all of us. We're not stirring, I'm not stirring the pot to ask about Hornberg just for the sake of stirring no, the pot. Like, see, I, Brandon, here's the thing. I said it was a major concern, a major issue, that they didn't sign a quarterback in two cycles, but the insiders on the message board told me it wasn't a big deal. It was Jordan Travis was on the roster. They, brought, they were bringing in Hornibrook. They got Rector, Josh. Why, what are you concerned about? There's three quarterbacks there. there that, should it, shouldn't that count for something? And I said, no, it, it really shouldn't because I don't see these guys factoring in at all. And now we have a very average quarterback playing, and there's really no threat for anybody to come in and do a better job than him. Uh, the, the message board insiders also said that they weren't going to miss Landon Dickerson or that, you know, Sayonara. They said that Xavier Howell Pete, was going to be a fullback. They and said that that, Andre was an going issue. Juco. There's an issue when I'm the least snarky son of a gun on the podcast. Okay, <laughs> I, I, was making, that out. I was making a point before Josh made it all about him, and then I made it all about me because that's what we do here. Where did all right? For my nap, so I had to come out swinging. <laughs> Sorry. Cranky. Jeez. Uh, so well, we were be- told the QB depth was taken care of, that Willie had a plan. There's a lot of things that we were told that have come to fruition and a lot that haven't. And it's been a bit of a coin flip in a lot of ways. Uh, what I want to say here with Alex Hornibrook and, and why we're talking about it today, it's not just because there's some people who are saying they don't like James Blackman and think that he's not the, the answer or whatnot. 
I'm saying it because this is a question that Willie Taggart was asked today. He was asked how James has done this week. Uh, initially, he thought <laughs> think it was about James last week because he cut the reporter off and said, I, I thought I answered that already. Uh, but but when the question was asked, it was about James this week and how he's responded and and uh, how, if Alex Hornerbrook is pushing him. So this is the, the quote. This is the answer. Uh, and I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on it. So here we go. Quote. James, again, James has some throws that he wishes he could have had back, could have helped our football team. Looking to see him improve from there. And Alex has been doing a good job for us. We have some plays and things where we want to be able to get Alex in, let him run some of those plays. Hopefully we get a chance to do that. End quote. Mm. Uh, I took that as they have some packages for Alex Hornerbrook and would like to see him get on the field a little bit. Uh, and I don't know if that means this weekend. I but clearly they want to see Alex. Now, it well, could think, also, it could also it, be that they want to uh, win some games, you know, get some blowouts and see him too. But but that's not how I took it. It's not like they had some specific plans for Alex. Josh? I took it the other way. I took it that, you know, they're playing one of the worst teams in the ACC this weekend. And this is a chance to get a guy like Hornybrook some snaps when they're up by two or three scores and see what he's got, see how he looks in the offense. And, you, you know, you never know. You might need him down the stretch due to injury or something like that. That's what should have happened in the ULM game, but it did go according to the script. Uh, yes, that's true. true. Uh, all right, so I'm, I'm the only one who read that as we have some plays and things we want to be able to get Alex in. Like, I'm the only but one do you think, Okay, here, if you are reading it that way, you think that means they're trying to get him in and kind of wedge him in there in meaningful reps, like in the games moving forward? Or do you think that this is... That's how Brandon took it, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, sorry, I'm shaking All my right, head. All right, so, like, so Brandon's great, saying there's a full-blown QB competition going on. No, that's, not, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I think it's something that the way I took it, and here we go, uh, analyzing a quote that wasn't super clear. Maybe I should have clarified it at that moment, uh, but, but I had to go back and transcribe the quote. When I it's okay, Brandon. At it. um, <laughs> am I, I'll, am I elaborating too much? Okay. Uh, no, I think it may be a scenario in which if, if James has a couple drives in a row that aren't super crisp, uh, you maybe say, okay, what, what can Alex come in and, and do something with the offense to get him back on schedule? You're, you're saying what I say, just using more words. Uh, I believe yeah. FSU is a rhythm-based offense, and I think having a two-quarterback system wouldn't be effective. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make a switch, you make a switch and you go forward with that guy. But if you're going to make a switch in this offense and make a permanent move, you better be willing to live with the consequences of it. Especially, like, I guess, shooting down my own theory, a sub-package with Alex Hornerbrook doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, normally you're talking about, like, a pro-style quarterback and then then a dual-threat one coming in. Yeah, it'd make more sense with Jordan Travis, but right, someone with Hornerbrook's the name that keeps popping up, so I take it. Well, Hornerbrook's the one, you know, people didn't believe us in camp. Like, Alex Hornerbrook performed as well as James. I think he was more steady and more consistent. Like, I... Sorry, that, 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 that's what we were told over and over again uh, for, for people in camp. So uh, what I do think to Chris's point, if there was, and we'll move on the quarterback thing. This has gone on way too long. It's been 15 minutes of quarterback talk uh, with a lot, of, host. a lot of it hypothetical. Yeah, me too. He's kind of an idiot. Uh, if they were to move off of James at any given point, and I'm not of the opinion that they should right now, I, I don't think that's good for you long term. It's a move that if you make it, you're you're. It's a permanent move. I feel like, right, guys? Like, if I off base, like I don't think you can go back and forth. Not with the way 
the team likes James, not with Hornerbrook only being here for the season. I just think it's something that if you're making that move, you're basically saying, okay, we don't think James is the guy for this offense and, and Hornerbrook can, can maybe keep us on time a little bit more. I think you have to kind of approach it in that manner, but I, I want to quote Eli Manning and say, I'm not dying guys. And it's early in the season. So. <laughs> All right. Do we want to talk about, you know what? Make this quick. Defensive changes, some personnel from what we saw. It was 10 minutes of a practice, so it doesn't mean it was a permanent switch. It was only, you know, it was was, uh, position drills, but we saw Jaden Lars Woodby and Leonard Warner switch roles. Basically, Leonard was working with the inside linebackers. Jaden was working with the edge defenders. I guess my question to you guys is why now? Like, why make that move three games into the season going into week four to, to me. Did you uh, watch the games, Brendan? Well, that, but like it took <laughs> one, it, but, <laughs> but, it, that, but that was obvious after one game, right? Like why after two more did, of seeing that, did, did you have to keep confirming uh, that this wasn't the right personnel grouping for, for what you wanted to do? That's more my think. Why now? Bigger sample be, size just to be. Yeah. Sure. I think, it, I think it's a matter of you made a switch to three, four, you're trying to see if guys are working out the kinks and getting used to it. And wow, three games, uh, you, you believe at this point sort of are who, what you are. Um, I said that probably incorrectly, but you know what I mean? That they know that that's kind of what it is. And it wasn't working with Leonard Warner. It wasn't working. What would be with where they were at. So switching them may be worthwhile to check and see. And some of it sewing it against the wall and seeing if it sticks and if it gives you better results and, you know, helps those guys out. Neither of those guys have performed very well in the role that they've been moved to for this year. So I, I kind of get moving away from the idea or at least flirting with the position changes. Has there been a big position change that's worked out this season? That we no, can I wouldn't, point I wouldn't to and say, say wow. Has been. I mean, like Levante been. moving, the, the, the switch up with Kando and Robinson to. I mean, Dirt and Cooper uh, Wilson have all played well. And they're mm-hmm. out there together because of the change in philosophy. So I, I guess you could say yes to that. None of them change positions per mm-hmm. se. Durden, Durden's it, on the edge a little bit more than he was last right. year. I think that's the biggest is, but yeah, that's probably been the, if we're talking about getting the best 11 on the field, getting those three to pay, play simultaneously uh, outside of, of the Boise game uh, has worked pretty, pretty well for Florida state. I just, yeah. And I think they're still trying to find that out said this after the Boise state game. Why are we still trying to find that out? Like I I said, I granted, I said, I don't feel like this staff has a very good grip on their personnel. That's what I said after the Boise state game, because I felt like the whole um, mass substitution thing, that was crazy. (laughs) They were trying to work. Well, they were trying to work out their best 11, like kind of a work in progress. Like let's, let's learn on the job. Yeah, but you don't, but you don't move they, guys in and out in between series like that. And they fixed that at least, but that was but this, nuts. I mean, this basically confirms, like, look, we're four games in. They're still switching guys around in different positions. I, I didn't feel like they had a good grip on their personnel heading into the season, and I still don't know if they do. I mean, I'm glad they're trying some things, but they've tried a lot of things, and very few have worked. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see. This seems like it makes sense, so I'm more optimistic about this working out. And while I agree with it, like you, like you guys bring up, it seems like this should have been something worked out during fall camp. In many ways, in many ways, fall camp feels like a squandered opportunity for the defense. Like very little of what they attempted to do in that stretch feels like it's paid off. 
Well, let's this through this experimentation with the three, four has been a failure. Like there's no other way to put it at this point. It's been a failure. Uh, And I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't have reason to believe that this is something that Harlan Burnett wanted. Why would he? I know we had some message board insiders say, oh, this is something that he talked about doing. Man, Harlan has run some three, four concepts with passing down packages. Why would he want to change everything that he's done as a coordinator, which is run the four-man front and the attacking kind of hybrid linebacker scheme with with the press coverage? Why would he want to deviate from that completely in one offseason just to fit personnel, to go something from you were completely comfortable with. Yeah, we saw something similar with Charles Kelly, where he was running a scheme that he wasn't totally comfortable with, although he knew what he was getting into there and, and knew he was stepping into running a defense that he was a part with a part of the previous year. But we've seen that before. Uh, and it com- in, in those were spheres of like, okay, hearing that like this may not be something that Harley necessarily 100% wanted, but was going to try to make it work. Um like those, those are come to, to fruition, right? Like, like that everything that you kind of worry like that he wasn't going to have a great grasp of, of calling this defense. And and we're seeing that now, like guys are moving back to different positions. I don't have a feeling. I have a feeling that Jaden Lars would be, didn't want to play inside linebacker at any point. He did it because he thought it was best for the team. I don't get the feeling that he wanted to, to play inside. Like there's a lot that happened in the preseason with this defense that to me, haven't made a lot of sense. Uh, you could have looked at the pie in the sky and say, okay, if this works, this works, this works, these moves work. Like, Theoretically, it could all end up being fine. Uh, maybe I'm playing the results a little bit here, but I, I these moves to me scream uh, making moves just to make them in the beginning and the off season, and now they're not working and they're reverting back to what they were doing last year, which did work. And like Chris said, this was this was a blown opportunity for Florida State at that preseason. If you look at all the time they spent implementing something new, that you're now kind of scaling back right now it looks like a disaster multiple coaches were adamant on the record that leonard warner was their best pass rusher and he simply hasn't been in three games i believe he's produced one sack and he just he simply hasn't been an effective pass rusher he hasn't been good off the edge and he's death in space and they were trying to that role calls for him to play in space and he ain't made to do it amari gainer would be much better in that role if that's what you're asking a guy to do if you want a pass rush possibility and you want somebody playing in space, Mario Gainer is a much better option. Would be moving there might be a better option. We'll see. He needs to play some games before I'm going to crown him, you know. And then on the inside, when Woodby was inside, he wasn't triggering well. He wasn't getting off blocks and he wasn't finishing plays. He looked like a man lost at a position that wasn't his. We're talking about a guy who's a box safety who bulked up to move downstairs and it simply wasn't working. And just because you move the guys, I don't know that their role still needs to be as significant as it's been. I think there's other candidates you might want to roll out there and try to figure out who the hell is going to give you the best results at this point. Because they're going to be in a pinch. Other than J-Rob, they don't have a natural defensive end who's currently ready to play, who has played a snap this year, who can produce results like you would expect of a defensive end. So they're going to have to get a little creative once again to try to create a pass rush and we saw some of that against Boise, and it's gone away over the last two weeks. And when they play teams that do have drop-back passers, which isn't this week because Juwan passes much more, he keep you on your toes kind of guy. But when they do play somebody who is a pocket passer, they're going to have to figure that out. And they don't have that right now. And I don't know if this move magically makes it better. How, but how damning, have to figure that out. with that in mind, how damning is it? So we, Josh mentioned the not signing a quarterback in two classes and, and how that's certainly hindered FSU's development of that position and 
and limited the options they have right now to where it's only a, a few guys to, to choose from. Look at the pass rushers. Like they signed Xavier Peters, but lose him after a year. The guys they signed this class, like they didn't feel comfortable putting Derek McClendon, who was dressed out. They didn't feel comfortable putting him on the field. So they end up going with Josh Brown and Adonis Thomas, two guys who, who have made minimal contributions uh, multiple years on campus and are both seniors now. Uh, you end up signing who else in this past class? Uh, Fan, I think, is hurt. Curtis Van uh, Quayshawn Fuller. Fuller Malcolm is available. Ray, they're more inside guys. So um, you've gone to recruiting classes. Derek McClendon. McClendon is the, and I think McClendon is someone who ends up playing a little bit more now, uh, or playing at all. But but you go to recruiting classes and you have an impact pass rusher. That's another. That's a that's a toughie, man. That's another indictment on not doing what you need to do on the recruiting trail. And, you know, this when last season was ending and we were saying that there were issues with the way they were closing the class and a lot of the issues of the poor on-field product was impacting them greatly on the recruiting trail. And I know a lot of people didn't want to hear it. Like, Kayvon Thibodeau was probably theirs. They won seven or eight games. They, they didn't. And they lost him. And you know who would look really, really good right now for Florida State? Kayvon Thibodeau. So... Uh, yeah, I mean the the pass rush, the pass rush. Uh, there's not a whole lot of options other than the guys like Durden, who can rush inside and is actually shown that he can rush a little bit outside. And and Marvin Wilson, like that's your primary pass rush right now. So Malcolm Lamar, is he ready? He hasn't played a meaningful role yet. Yeah, he's been a scout team guy and practices for the most part since the regular season rolled around. So he wasn't with the scout team today. It looked like he was more with the the big boy group. So we'll see. Um, Josh, do you have anything with the scheme or whatnot? Like, I just, I, I don't know if I'm out on an island here, but to me, it, it just all along never made a lot of sense. It didn't seem like it was something that Harlan Burnett definitely wanted to do. I've got an indication that that he wasn't totally on board with it, but I, I don't know if I'm alone here. Uh, it just, it, it, not a great situation. Yeah, I think um, it's just a matter of they're a year too early. Next year they'll have the. They'll have the right scheme with the right defensive coordinator. Jim Levitt will have this team running the 3-4. And Are you saying that Jim better. Levitt's going to be the defensive coordinator for sure? Well, I'm not going to. I mean, I fully expect that. <laughs> I think point. we all do. We all do. But um, I think, yeah, you know, they're a year short. I think it was a miscalculation. I know people can say, well, they're running it without the right personnel. So once they have the right personnel, they'll be better. Well, it's kind of your choice on what scheme you run. So and your job to maximize your personnel too in college. Like this isn't the NFL. You can't go out and trade guys and right. I mean, you have to fit. Right. You're clearly seeing guys, you know, careers take a a different turn right now due to the fact that, you know, maybe they're playing in a scheme that doesn't fit them as well. So we'll see it next year though. Um, This year it's going to be a work in progress. Uh, Hopefully, would be takes to this position and it works out and we can move forward from here and not, and at least know who are, who, you know, who the outside guys are and then maybe get the freshman a look as the season goes on in the interior. And next year, the whole, the defense looks, looks more ready to go, I should say for the three, four. So we'll see. I, I'm just, I'm just here to watch. I think this week, I think the, the moves pay off. I, I do believe they get the win It'll take a little bit of pressure off things as the second half of the season comes up um, because Clemson, UF, Miami, that part of the schedule is going to look a lot different from the from the first half. I think they get the win this weekend. Josh just pulled a man skip to the end of the episode. 
Yeah. Uh, did we did, say we want to go for a half hour? I just thought I'd get it all in because I no, thought we haven't even taken a break yet. We haven't. Even Josh taken hit a break the wrap yet. it up. He hit the wrap it up button. He just got that. that he got that done. We, we got Brandon told me twenty or thirty minutes. We've gone thirty. When minutes. have I ever promised? you? I wanted to get my prediction in before Brendan ended the show. I feel like it's Josh, more on you for believing you know, we've ended time than on me. Brendan, Brendan over promises and under delivers. It's what he does. Hmm. Wait, isn't it supposed to be the other way around? For his, good wife, his wife warned me about that. Yeah. All right. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of my wife, I, so yesterday uh, Harlan Barnett had a quote that uh, that triggered a lot of people and and got their ears perked up. And he was asked about Jim Levitt and uh, his familiarity with with Jim Levitt. And and I think uh, to Josh's point, he made a minute ago before he went and skipped ahead on the script for like five minutes and then complained <laughs> about the time of the show. Uh, was that there's obviously this, this interesting dynamic. Harlan, Bar- Harlan Barnett is a defensive coordinator at Florida State. It seems like he was asked to run a scheme that he's not intimately familiar with. Uh, the guy who came in at some point to consult was Jim Levitt, and he has familiarity with that scheme. And now Jim Levitt is making $80,000 a year as a uh, – what's the technical phrase, Chris? It, it it doesn't matter. He's a well. He's a senior defensive analyst is his title. Okay, so he's making. So the belief is is that at some point we don't know exactly when Jim Levitt is going to join Florida State's staff at a full time basis. That's just being logical here. Uh, likely as a defensive coordinator. Listen, he he didn't he didn't go from spending time with his mom to go take a part time job for for to be a consultant. I think we all know what's going to happen. So that puts Harlan Barnett, who we all like. We all think he's a good dude. Puts him in a weird spot. <laughs> uh, he was asked about Jim Levitt. This was his quote. Uh, is after he said he gave a little context of, of his familiarity with Jim, and then this is what he said. I like him a lot. He brings knowledge, some great knowledge, his background in knowing different things. I like him. I do. I really do. He's going to help us out. Nice. So after that, <laughs> I texted a bunch of people. I like you. I do. I really do. Just out of nowhere. Just to see how they responded to it. My wife responded, you like me? And I said, oh, I was just doing a social experiment. And we ended up getting in a little bit of a uh, <laughs> fight. She's like, oh, I thought you really thought you, you liked me. My mom was really uh, weirded out by it. I had another person ask if I was going to murder them. Uh, let's see. My other friend asked what's going on. Are you okay? And then I got a, and I got a weird uh, Jim Halpert uh, awkward uh, gif. So unsettling i think you know most people don't say that you like someone like three times in a sentence it seems like a little bit of overcompensation not that he dislikes jim levitt but i don't think rightfully so harlan probably really likes the situation fair yeah i mean i can't imagine what that dude's feeling like these days he tried to say all the right things i think he handled himself in a good manner but it's a weird, awkward situation. You essentially have the guy who's your potential replacement standing right behind you and looking over your shoulder. Sitting in your office. Eight, yeah, and he's getting paid an $80,000 retainer basically to make sure he hangs around to replace you potentially. Mm-hmm. It's a weird deal. Harlan's a professional. He'll act like a professional, but it's it's odd. And I, I, I don't think it's reached a boiling point. I'm interested to see, say, FSU's defense has a game where – you know, they've been bad all year, but I'm talking atrocious. Just Clemson start. Game. Yeah, just start to finish. Can't do anything right. Looks like a discombobulated mess. It's going to that dynamic's going to get real interesting and kind of be an observer of. I like you guys. I like you a lot. 
We're going to take a quick commercial break, do a little recruit scoop, a little game prediction, a little analysis, and we'll be done. I promise. Like five more minutes, Josh. All right? Okay. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right. After that commercial break, I still like you guys. Josh, you got some some recruit scoop for us? Posted some, a little insider this morning. Ooh, a little inside heat. Four-star Palm Beach Central wide receiver Brian Robinson. Um, hey, he's he's the one that's responsible for the dangling ring, ring, ring that's still out there in the ethers just dwindling and people still questioning where that ring 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 goes of dangling of dangling josh have you seen his touchdown celebration no i'm not Uh, when after he scores he puts his hands down below his knees as if he's holding something and starts hopping up and down like like there's a giant dangling uh something i like that yeah take some onions take some cojones to big onions to, to get those touchdowns yeah pull off a celebration like that um anyway I, I saw that Brian Robinson was visiting UF this weekend on an unofficial visit. And Brian Robinson had kind of started talking about UF just a little bit during the summer. And when he was at Saturday Night Live, he said that that was a team he wanted to see in the fall. And I had checked with Luke Stampini, who was still at the UF site at the time. And um, Luke said UF didn't have all that much interest in him, had just started kind of reaching out and there was no visit. So at the time, he couldn't really tell me where things stood. He didn't think that Robinson would end up being a big target. Well, here we are week four. He's going to be in Gainesville this weekend on an unofficial. He may take an official to Florida down the road. Um, I spoke to a source very close to him that tells me that they're thinking about coming up to Tallahassee for the NC State game. That would be an unofficial visit. His official visit is still planned for November 2nd when they face Miami. Um, but one of the more interesting stuff I asked, you know, who, who's who are the main players who are the main schools talking to him right now? And he said Penn State, who he, he might visit in October, possibly officially, possibly unofficially. They're still working that one out. And then UF and FSU. So Alabama is really not in it anymore. I reached out to Hank South of our Bama site and I asked him if, where it stood. And he said, you know, until until the kid takes a visit, I don't think Alabama's going all in on him, um, which probably means Alabama hasn't really pressed to get him on campus yet. So we sit with three teams right now, FSU, Penn State, and UF. I asked, does Florida State still lead? I'm told he wears FSU gear to school still almost every day. His parents love Coach Dugans, but they need to win. This is a quote. Winning six to seven games and UF winning nine to 11 games won't cut it. And, you know, the kid did say he wanted to see more throughout the summer. Um 
this person cautioned me if if FSU get, can get to can win eight or more, they got him. But if Mullen can win ten, that could get really interesting. So the kid's definitely watching things. Um, it should come as no shock. Like I said, he said all summer that he wanted to see Florida State on the field. He really loved his, um, his relationship with Ron Dugans, but he had he had several questions about the direction of Florida State. So to this point. Florida State's one and two, and I don't know if they're going to be in the the eight win range. Um, the person close to them that I was texting with yesterday, I mean, they still feel optimistic about Florida State. The thought from Robinson and his camp is they're improving and they're going to improve and they're going to show everybody on the field. We'll see. All I got to add is go to fight in Jeremy Pruitt's, and I hope we get Pedro Serrano. Is that a major league reference? Yeah, big balls dance, baby. Oh, all right. Oh, well, yeah, it's basically that dance, but it's more jumping up and down rather than like the, the back and forth. Anyways. It's almost like pogo stick with the balls. Yes, essentially. It's, it's testicular. Yeah. And I'm realizing as we're recording this, probably like probably not appropriate to talk about high schooler, but he's the one doing those. He's the one dancing like that or just documenting it. Couple NBA guys used to do that. Sam Cassell was one of them, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, Sam Cassell. All right, let's looks let's like an alien. Uh, I was going to say ET, but I thought that'd be rude. There is there is if you type in, if you haven't, guys, do yourself a favor. Google Sam Cassell ET. You'll laugh. All right, Louisville coming up, three thirty p.m. Saturday. Kind of a biggie for Florida State. They're all biggies at this point, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, but Chris, uh, this is your specialty. Can you give us a minute and a half to two minutes of just Straight up Louisville talk. They run the ball well. They're not necessarily a real effective passing team. They're ranked 100th in the country, averaging 186 through the air. But they are capable of hitting big plays. 2-2 at Will is a guy to know. He has 11 receptions for 241 and four touchdowns. So he's averaging about 80 per game right now through the air. Juwan Pass, who did not play last week for him, is their quarterback. We do expect him to play. He's 24 for 46 with 330. Four passing touchdowns, one pick on the year. Also a very capable runner. He's a guy that will keep FSU's defense on their toe, especially if they don't spy him well. Javion Hawkins is their running back. He's a redshirt freshman. He's got 49 carries for 338 and a touchdown on the year, so he's averaging 112 per game. He's another guy capable of hitting chunk runs pretty consistently. Defensively, it's not really a. There's not a whole lot of singular guys you pick out. Uh, if I had to highlight one guy, it would be Rod J. Burns. He's an outside linebacker, kind of hybrid type. He's got three tackles for loss, two sacks. He leads the team in both of those. He's one of three players with 16 tackles on the team, tied for the team lead. He's tied with Kane Pass, who's one of their safeties, which is Juwan Pass's brother. Kane Pass is a real experienced back-end guy for them. Kind of will set the tone. They have no interceptions on the season. If I remember correctly, they have four recovered fumbles. So they're not heavy in the turnover category yet this year. They're uh, they're kind of, if you had to define them simply, they're going to try to run the ball and run it a lot. They're willing to run it 40, 50 times in a game easily. And then defensively, they're going to try to take away from the run from you and keep everything underneath. They don't want to give up the big play. I think for FSU, the key this week is, one, stop the run, be effective against the run, defend the run similar to how you did last week against Virginia for a majority of that game. And then offensively, take the top off once in a while, but run the ball consistently kind of force Louisville to play that, play that up front, trying to stop the run with the umbrella, but be willing to go over the umbrella and try to hit the big one, which means a guy like Tamori and Terry or a guy like Keyshawn Hilton probably is one of those guys you want to see have a big day. 
Louisville is no world beater. They are well coached. Scott Satterfield's a very talented coach. Great winning percentage at App State before he came to Louisville. Um, but talent-wise, Louisville has some deficiencies. They're not particularly real deep. Last year really did them in with the team quitting so much and a lot of guys leaving. They did bring in six grad transfers, which helped to bulk them up a little bit. It's a very winnable game for FSU. Vegas doesn't love FSU. It started at eight. I think it's trended down about six. Some of that is Juwan Pass being healthy and cleared to play. I'm going to pick FSU to win. I don't quite have a score in my head yet, but I think it will be a one-possession type of game. But if FSU's run defense is not good on the day, it could be a real long Saturday for the Seminoles. FSU by three. That's my yeah, opinion. I'm feeling like four or five is where I think really? they end up settling. Yeah. I had Knowles by 12. Ooh. Wow, Ooh. Well, we all yeah. have FSU I mean, winning. If FSU plays as well as they did for the first three quarters at Virginia and they improve upon that. They win know, by I'm double talking, digits. I'm talking, I'm talking run defense, offense being effective, you know, not being stuck on the field, not allowing every single pass attempted by the other team to be completed. Avoid those things. FSU can win this one comfortably. They are a better team than not, not playing a prevent defense for the entire yeah. game. But it, yeah. the, the big thing with FSU this year is as much as the defense has been atrocious for the most part, they've not given up a lot of big, humongous chunk plays. They've given up a lot of chunk plays, 10 to 15 to 20 types, but they've not given up a lot of 30, 40s or 50s. I don't think they've given up anything over 40, if I remember correctly. They're one of like 10, 11 teams in the country. Which kind of doesn't a, doesn't really complement the offense very well, by the way. Like, right. you're allowing teams to draw. It, the, the way they're playing defense doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Louisville is capable of hitting those big plays, pass keeping it and going at well over the top or doing something creative with a handoff to them. And Hawkins is a capable runner. So, you know, Louisville is able to hit two, three chunk plays of that sort that light up the scoreboard. It kind of swings the pendulum in their director, their, their direction. All right. So outside of a win, what's one thing like what's one aspect? And then we'll end it on this that you guys want to see. You just want to see him. You just want to see dominance for, or not dominance, but just I'm consistent. Not, I, no, hell no. I don't believe in dominance for <laughs> this team. I've watched this defense for 12 quarters in an overtime. I just want to see him play four quarters. Like, I want to see them have a pulse in the fourth quarter, not implode and completely have no clue what the hell they're supposed to do in that final 15 minutes. Josh? A win. Just give me a win. No, that, I just said other than a win. Josh what, is really? channeling his willy. Jesus. He's channeling his willy. He just wants a win. A conference win. That's what I'll take then. Ooh. Both teams very desperate for one. Louisville went 0-8 in the conference last year and hasn't won on the road in the conference dating back to November of 2017 at Syracuse. I would Jeez. like to see I would like to see James Blackman just come out and play a great game and quiet a lot of doubters, get himself some confidence. If that happens. Uh, I think then then you go ahead and uh, take care of business with NC State and you're three and two heading into the bye week and you go and you beat the shit out of Clemson. All right. I revise mine. I want to see I want to see I want my curiosity to get quenched and I want to see Hornybrook in these packages at quarterback, maybe like the end of the third quarter when FSU's up 20. That's what I want to see this week. Chris just blew his brains out with a, uh, with a finger. All right. I don't, again, I, I don't know how to end the podcast. I thought me being loud and obnoxious was the way to end it, but now Josh made it weird. You made it weird, Josh. All right. Pedro, Pedro Serrano. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs>
new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.